Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast, episode number two. In this episode, we'll be interviewing Christian Fournier, Safety and Training Coordinator for Fournibu Lumber in Miramichi, New Brunswick. Christian has 12 years experience um, in the health and safety field. He's also a first responder um, trainer with St. John Ambulances and a member on the board of the New Brunswick chapter of the Canadian Society for Safety Engineering. I came across Christian's story in an article shared by Canadian Forestry Industry Forestry Industries magazine, um, where he talked about a near near miss or a close call incident that the lumber mill had. They had a planer fire that started in their mill um, that was quickly extinguished by workers, but then the embers got sucked up into the dust collector and started a fire outside. So in this interview, we'll talk about lessons they learned from this incident. Even though they have a, a particularly um, clean lumber mill, they still have this, this fire incident. So we talk a lot about that. We talk about the importance of training specific to combustible dust, how that can help you convince your line managers and help you convince the operators in your facility of the need for a safety program. We also talk about maintenance management software and how that can be used to set up uh, preventative maintenance orders. And then we go into the advantages of, of joining association like the Canadian Society of Safety Engineering to help you progress your career as a health and safety professional. In the episode, we cover, so we mention a number of different resources that you can go to. As always, these are included um, on the website at www.dustsafetyscience/slash/the-episode-number. So in this case, it'll be dustsafetyscience/slash/the-number-two. And with that, I want to thank you for listening. I know you'll get a lot from Christian's experience, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Christian. Welcome to the uh, Dust Safety Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I, I originally heard your story in an article that you shared in, I think, Canadian Forestry Magazine, and then it was published as part of uh, Dust Safety Days with Canadian Biomass Magazine. Um, and I was yeah. pretty inspired where I spent a lot of time trying to track and capture lessons learned from safety incidents. And normally it's a really got to go out and hunt down the information to have a, a company go out and and put that information out there and try to explain it so that other organizations in a similar industry can can uh, improve their safety. I thought that was a, a really great message. So I want to get you on and do some uh, an interview with you just to, to go through that process. No, that sounds great. So I think we'll start by just going through a little bit of your background um, and then maybe transitioning into the, the Fornibu uh, mill that you're, you're currently working at uh, and talking about their processing operation a bit. Certainly. Um, I have been a health and safety professional for uh, uh, roughly 12 years now. I've been with Fornibu Lumber the last three years. Uh, Fornibu Lumber is basically a, a sawmill. Uh, their main products that they make is uh, two by fours and two by six on the seven, eight, nine feet lengths. And then we have customers uh, in the United States and uh, as well as in Canada. For my experience itself, I had an opportunity to uh, work in several industries, including automotive sector, rail car sector, construction or demolition sector, and now with the forestry division. So it's a, it's a very, um, for me, it's very exciting because you get to learn what's special about 
each industry, what's make it different from the other ones, and obviously, and how to incorporate safety and all those aspects. Oh, that's excellent. So maybe before we get into the, the, um, the fire incident and the processes, can you describe a bit about the, the mill and just what equipment's involved in that process line and, and give some background information along the lines of that? Sure. So when the wood first comes in into the, the mill, obviously it will go through the line using uh, log loaders. And it goes from there into the, the barkers where the, the bark will be removed from the wood. And then from there, it goes through a set of scanners where they um, separate the size of the wood into different decks. And then from there, it, it would go through the U-saw, which is basically that's where they uh, go through a scanner that, that determines what type of wood can come out of that log. So for example, depending on the, the size of the log, you can come up, um, you can have, let's say for example, two, two by four, or it could be two by six and two, two by fours, depending on the size of the log. Then from there, it goes into the optimizer. Then from there, they, they rate the wood, they, they see if the quality of the wood. Then from there, it gets again, loaded into uh, different bins. Then from there, it goes into the stacker where it's stacked into bundles. And then from there, once it's uh, wrapped into a bundle, it's sent to the kilns where they dry the wood to a specific um, specification for quality. And then from there, once the wood has been dried, depending on the type of wood, because we, we can receive spruce, we can have uh, jack pine, uh, it could be different types of wood that we receive. And obviously, depending on the type of wood that we receive, it's not dried the same way. It's not dried at the same amount of time. So that has to be taken under consideration as well. Once the wood is dried and it's taken out of the kilns and it's brought to the planer mill. So we'll go through the, uh, the tilt toys, which will set it up for the, the planer. And the planer, basically what it does, it smooths out the, around the wood, makes it nice and smooth, so it's presentable for the customer. And then from there, it goes to the grader station, and then again, another quality check is done from there. And then it goes to our sorter bin, and then it gets sorted through the, um, you have your PMO, you get your number twos, you get your stud, different type of grades of wood, and that's separated as well and put in two different bundles and that's been wrapped and then it's put on either a train or a truck uh, for customers to be sent. So that's the process uh, in a nutshell. Excellent. So um, I think we'll, we'll get into the, the uh, safety incident that you mentioned in your article. I believe it was on June 1st. Um, and so what piece of it, what piece of equipment in that align, uh, had the initial, the initial issue. So it would have been through the planer itself. So the, in the planer mill, once it goes through the tiltoise, it goes through the line and it will go through the, um, planer mill. And that's the part where the first fire was, uh, started. So 
once that fire started and you have a, basically a, a big blower or a, a fan that sucks all the sawdust and brings it outside the building. So basically, because the, there was a fire at the planer, the fan sucked up the fire, brought it outside to the dust collector at the base of the, uh, because it's a cyclone dust collector that we have. And from there, basically a second fire started because there was sawdust at the base of the um, cyclone. So that's what happened for the, the fire. So basically what we did from there, we were extremely lucky that our employees were acted quite quickly. And uh, we are, were also lucky that we had a zoom boom right at the planar mill itself. So basically first thing you guys did, they brought uh, fire extinguishers to stop the first fire inside the planer. So that was the first. So they extinguished that. Then from there, they use a fire rose because obviously fire extinguisher could not reach the platform in the air. It's about, uh, I would say, uh, 15, 15 feet in the air, easy, if not 20. So they took the zoom boom with a fire rose. They brought it up and they extinguished the fire that way to make sure that everything was well extinguished. So that was basically what we did. Obviously, there was a few little things that happened that we were not expecting. One of them was the uh, fire hydrant was not turned on at all this year because we, because every fall we turned it off and we drained the hydrant for winter time. So in the spring, it wasn't turned back on yet. So that was one issue that we had. They had our time opening the the fire hydrant once they did that and then they were able to use the hose but that was one of the things that we were that we uh was a learning for us as well another learning is that the platform where the base of the cylinder is was not really clean and it's not really safe for anybody to stand on and it's on the projects to be actually changed this year it was on our, our project list um, so, and there was a bunch of sawdust there and that's why the fire caught onto the, the second fire caught. So once everything was extinguished, we put a fire watch there for the next couple hours to me to ensure that no fire would start again and the pile right up and there was no more, more no more pile of sawdust on, on the platform because we, we took care of that, but to make sure that it was safe. That's the events of what we did at right after. After that, once we concluded our investigation, we created a work order, um, the PM or pre uh, preventive maintenance through our integral uh, system uh, to do cleaning, major cleaning on the planner um, on a monthly basis. Because through the investigation, we found that it was clean uh, just a normal cleaning was done that day, but not the full cleaning that uh, should have been done. Then from there, we'll create. We created another PM uh, work order to ensure that we clean the platform once a week to make sure that there's no sawdust that accumulates at the base of the cyclone until we uh, switch them out, and get a new uh, dust collector. And then from there, we created 
our work order to make sure that we to reactivate the rest of the fire hydrants on site. So that's basically what we did as a corrective actions following the incident. Great. Yeah, that's a uh, that's some really good feedback, and I think there's a lot of information there that other um, even mill owners could could pull from, especially with you know going from winterizing to, to getting things ready for the summer, making sure your your fire hydrants are are working, um, or that they're they're both working that they're they're turned on. So you mentioned a bit that you 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 updated the procedures or you added to the procedures for cleaning of the planer mill and the the platform for the the bottom of the dust collector. Um, now you had some procedures in place already, but there was a bit more there. Uh, maybe you could highlight a couple of those sort of extra things that other mill owners might also miss that they that would be good to to include in that that process uh, safety cleanup. The only thing I would um, recommend for other sawmills or even any other industry where dust could be a factor uh, for them, because uh, wood obviously is not the only industry where you, you might have uh, dust explosions or anything like that. If you can, if you can, uh, if you're lucky enough to have a maintenance management program and use that program to create uh, work orders that show up, let's say once a week or once a month, once every six months to remind your people to do certain things, either for safety or just for normal maintenance or anything else. It's a, it's a wonderful tool to have. And, uh, we, uh, been using the interrail system, I would say for, uh, three, four years. And, um, it's done. Uh, it's been very good, and obviously we're still learning as uh, because we're not experts in the program, but uh, we're still learning on it, and we use it uh, quite a bit um, for for those reasons. Great, yeah, that's really good input. Was that? Um, I'll include a link in the in the show notes to that actual um, maintenance management program. Was it Interrail? Interrail, yeah. I can send you a little link on that. It's no problem. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, no, that's a really good point. So uh, I guess one other question is, so I saw some videos from your guys' facility and it is a very, very clean uh, facility, the processing operations there um, that were in the, the dust safety week video. Um, how, how, so if you didn't have such clean facility or if there were, some other issues where you didn't have workers on site, you know, how bad could have the, the fire ended up being at the end of the day? No, that's a very good question. And just to let you know, we didn't start off nice and clean like that there. When I first started here, it was, it was, uh, was not, it wasn't clean like that at all. So what happened is true education. Um, like myself, I had the opportunity to, um, go take a few courses, um, and um, by a gentleman in, uh, he's come from Nova Scotia, LFX. I think it's EMP Consulting, if I'm not mistaken. His name is John, and I can't remember his last name off the John John Baz, uh, John Bazinski um, from EMP. Yeah. I can include yeah. a, a link to to them in the. Uh, the oh, that would be great. No, I took uh, I think a total of three three courses, I think, with him, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he was quite, like I said, this was a, a eye-opening to understand the, uh, basically, uh, 
um, not only what happened in BC with all those explosions and everything like that, where the sawmills were destroyed, but just to understand the how it works, um, the sawdust, how it explodes, so I can so you can basically go and explain it to the decision makers at where you work. And so I found very helpful that way as well. Um, also, with with John specifically, gave a lot of examples. Uh, was easy. It was easy to understand the principles of um, dust management, and I was able to use what he taught me for the site here. And that's basically with that. I also had this, uh, a couple of his team to come over to do an assessment on site as well. And they gave us some recommendations and how to reduce uh, the sawdust and, and, uh, at the site here. So there's, like I said, there, there's a lot of work that was done to be as clean, but as you can see, even though we did all those steps, we still had an incident that happened. So uh, just to show that even though all your due diligence and everything, something can still happen, because you work with machines, machines break down. You work with certain products, they might start sticking to the machine, create heat, then, oh, there's a fire that happens. So all that stuff, um, anyway, I'm very grateful that I used uh, John and his, uh, and his team to help us out to, to get to the steps to where we are today, so. Oh, that's, that's really great feedback. Um... And yeah, John, uh, EPM Consulting's office actually is not far from where I'm from my my home office location here. Probably only uh, ten minutes. Uh, wow. And him, him and his team are a great uh, great group down there. So um, you mentioned a couple of things there. I want to dig into a little bit more, maybe going towards the end of the interview. Um, that I think would be helpful for other um, safety professionals, other HSE uh, individuals inside their companies, and that's both the, the impact of training and, and how to find that right training, but then also the communication part. So talking to your, your operators, talking to your managers, um, and it, it's, it's a little bit easier after something happens to, to, uh, to show what could the possible outcome be. But even before then, do you have any suggestions for other, other safety professionals to be able to have those conversations? Oh, certainly. I just, uh, before I get to that, if you don't mind, I just, because we talked a little bit at the beginning of this interview, why, why sharing is important and Please. Yes. why it's not a lot of sharing going on. So, so why sh should we share? And it's quite, it's quite simple because having injured employees at the workplace is becoming less and less accepted in today's society. We expect employees to go home the same way that they came in at the beginning of their shift. I strongly believe that one of the duties of a good corporate citizen is to share safety experiences, learnings, incidences, and best practices with all businesses and industries. At the end of the day, not one company wants to see an injured, an injured employee at their workplace or even at their competitor's workplace. The more we promote safety within our companies, it only makes sense that it will increase the safety consciousness of our employees and therefore improve the safety culture of the workplace and 
hopefully transfer into the community. So on, on occasion, I sometimes I'll get comments from employees or members of the community. Uh, like for example, they'll say, oh, an accident is an accident. You can't prevent that. Or sometimes I'll hear, oh, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'm convinced that all accident incidences are preventable, but some of the contributing factors of the accident may not be, for example, weather. Another common quote that I'm pretty sure that everybody has heard at one time or another is, I've been doing this job for 20 years and nothing has ever happened. So that's a common thing. I'm pretty sure that you or other people that are be listening to this podcast is become is common. So the way that I usually respond to this co uh, comment, I usually explain it like it's like playing dice at the casino, except you're not throwing dice, but you're doing unsafe acts. So eventually your number will come up and you will have an accident or an incident. So I wish I could say that was that, that there's a secret ingredient or safety program that exists to, that would make everybody safe for all companies or for any industry, but I would be lying. That's a really strong yeah. message. And um, yeah. this we're in pretty early days with the, with the podcast, but my guess is if we look uh, six months from now that the quote about, I've been doing this for 20 years, um, will be the most uh, said quote on this this interview podcast. I I think I I think that's a pretty safe bet. But the the message is really strong there that it is really uh, a risk, and if you keep taking that risk over and over again, um, eventually something can can happen. To to kind of get towards the end of the interview, and I I really appreciate all the great information so far. Um, you mentioned before we we got on the actual recording. Uh, that you are a member of the Canadian Society of Safety Engineers. Um, yeah, safety engineering. Yes, I'm safety a, engineering. Yes. Yeah, I'm a, one of the, on the board of directors on the New Brunswick chapter. And I believe I believe that I heard that you uh, are receiving an award for the 2018 Person in Safety, or what was the what was the award? It's, uh, it's the um, 2018 Safety Professional of the Year. For the New Brunswick chapter. Oh, congratulations! That's that's a really great, uh, really great honor. We do have uh, people that will be listening in from Canada, um, and certainly in 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 the states and throughout North America and and throughout the world, but specifically in Canada and the United States um, with with the CSSE and and the American equivalent for safety professionals. How would they go about getting involved, or even operators or, or facility owners? How would they go about getting involved with? Um, those organizations. So for the CSSC, that's if you're a safety professional or you'd just like to be a member of that organization, there is a website at uh, www.cssc.org. You can go in and it will explain uh, what the benefits of being a member are. For myself, um, what I tell people the main reasons it's basically for the chances to network to find uh, mentorship mentors especially if you're uh, early in your career in um, in safety 
for for myself, I benefit a lot through networking and mentorship. And like I was explaining a little bit earlier, sometimes you'll go through a, a situation or I'll say, okay, for example, um, the upcoming uh, drug policy and how that's going to affect every workplace in Canada. And, and basically being part of those organizations, get to meet other safety individuals that are facing the same challenges and you get to see what they are trying to do to meet up to those challenges. And sometimes you can take a little bit of certain people's ideas and, and try to tweak it to make to make it work for your organization. So for myself, I find that it's great for that. Uh, you get to meet some uh, very uh, nice folks. And uh, those types of organizations, they're always looking to help each other out. So that's another reason why I love being part of that organization. Yeah, that that sounds really good. I'll uh, I'll include links to the CSSE and and the American Association as well uh, in the in the show notes. So I think we're coming close to the end. Are there any sort of parting notes you'd like to leave the the uh, listeners with with regards to safety in in wood processing sure. operations or otherwise? Oh, certainly. So just think about just going back to your safety program and uh, and yes, it is a challenge create a good safety program. If you compare your safety program to a chef that is trying to make a, delici- a delicious souffle, sometimes it's the way that you mix your ingredients that will make the difference. So don't be afraid to try different ingredients. A great amount of work will be required for everybody in your organization to make your safety program successful. So you have to keep in mind that every organization is different which means that you have to modify your safety program in order to have the maximum results for your organization. So my last, to the way I'm going to leave this is that safety is continuous, never completed, never done. Those are, those are great words to end on. I really appreciate you taking the time today. And I know the, uh, the listeners really enjoyed this interview as well. And thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. <laughs>